Thank you for listening to Preaching the Word with Nathan Deitch. Thank you again for joining me on another episode of The Mysteries of God's Word. Today we're going to be examining Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 5, and we're going to be looking at what brought the Lord to destroy the entire earth with water. And we're going to be looking at Noah. In verse 5, we see that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That is describing sin full-grown. James 1.5 describes how that happens. It says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. This statement in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 of every intention of the thoughts of man's heart being only evil continually is perhaps the strongest statement made in Scripture about the sinfulness of mankind. The language here implies that the people of Noah's day had allowed sin to grow in their hearts and in their lives to such excess that they were constantly looking for all kinds of new ways of wickedness in excess. This verse also establishes what we understand as the doctrine of human depravity. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, all of mankind is sinful by nature, and sin begins from a sick heart, a sick heart that's fallen from God. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 read, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That verse in Jeremiah makes it clear that God judges the very thoughts of our heart not just our outward actions. And this principle is restated throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. We see it in Deuteronomy 36, Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs 21.2, 1 Samuel 16.7, Psalm 51.10, Matthew 5.22, Matthew 12.35, Mark 7.20-23, Luke 6.45, Hebrews 4.12, and 1 Peter 3.3-4, and that's just the beginning. 
God is a God that sees our hearts. He knows our very intentions. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. A better translation for regretted would be he was sorrowful or he was pained. God isn't second-guessing his decision to create humanity or his plan for all of creation. Rather, he has genuine, deep emotional pain over the sinful state of mankind at this time. We see already through this text that God is willing to suffer for the sake of mankind. And God says, I will blot out man whom I've created. So through the flood, God is reversing his creative work. He's destroying that which he originally created. In Genesis chapter 1, we saw that God declared that the land was good, that the whole created order was good. The central theme to these verses is that God is destroying that good work that he originally made because man in his wickedness has corrupted what God has given him. Another important aspect to recognize is that there are consequences for sin even before the law of Moses. One of the verses in Romans that's often misunderstood is Romans 5.13. It says, it says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And that verse is talking about the time between Adam and Moses. There's no written law. Yet we clearly see through the flood that mankind is held accountable that God judges the sin of mankind. When Cain killed Abel, he was held accountable by God. And now, in the time of Noah, all of mankind became so evil that God destroys the entire earth in a flood. Yet, what Romans is saying is, because there was no specific list of commands or laws, There was no strict accounting by mankind himself for specific points of violation. Back in Genesis, we see that God is grieved in his heart. I remember shortly after my conversion that this struck me deeply. Recognizing that God had such emotion. In fact, before I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ personally, I was very factual or intellectual in my thinking about who God was. But once I came into that personal relationship, I began to recognize the emotions of God. That God isn't an intellectual discussion. He isn't a product of our thinking. He is the greatest being in all existence, worthy of our praise and worship. And he has emotion and is sad when mankind sins against him. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah is a major character in Scripture. He's mentioned 50 times 
in nine different books of the Bible. And Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is a description of God's grace. Finding favor in the eyes of the Lord equates to receiving the grace of God. People have worked tirelessly to try and find favor with their employers or with people that they see as influential, trying to come into their good graces. But the grace of God is not something we can work for. It is something that God freely gives when we repent from sin and place our faith in the Messiah. Noah alone was found faithful to the message about the coming Messiah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, not because of his own righteous works, but because he recognized his own depravity. He turned from his sin, and he trusted in the coming Messiah. Then we read that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, that Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. The quality of being a righteous man in Scripture doesn't mean that Noah was without sin. Being a righteous man means Noah lived according to God's standards. It is the standard of faith in the Messiah alone that gives us the true quality of righteousness that God requires. While the law had not yet been given, Noah lived both exercising justice and mercy in his relationships. It says Noah was blameless in his generation. The quality of being blameless, or perfect, means Noah was above reproach in his generation. His life was one of loving both his neighbor and God, and it was shown to everyone he came in contact with. So Noah walked with God. And that quality of walking with God means he had an intimate relationship with God, similar to Enoch, Moses, Abraham. Noah didn't simply obey God's commands, but he knew God personally, and he walked daily with him. If you're listening to this, and you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is prompting at your heart right now, I want you to bow your head and pray with me. Dear Father, I need you. I acknowledge that I've sinned against you by directing my own life. I thank you that you have forgiven my sins through Jesus Christ's death on the cross for me. I believe that you have raised him from the dead in victory. And I now invite Christ to again take his place on the throne of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit as you command me to be filled, and as you've promised in your word that you would do when I ask in faith. I pray this in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for filling me with the Holy Spirit and directing me in my life. Thank you for joining me today. Join me next week as we watch God direct Noah to build an ark. Trust in the 
Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understandings. Thank you.